Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. This is Shlomo Buxbaum. So happy that you're here for another wonderful episode of the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. If you're a newcomer to the podcast, once again, this is a project of the Lev Experience, and you can check us out at our website, levx.org, that's levx.org, to learn all about our online classes and in-person classes if you are in the greater D.C. area or you'd like to visit us in the greater D.C. area. You can learn about my new book, The Four Elements of an Empowered Life, and so many different ways that you could help us support the podcast. It is the beginning of the month, the Jewish month of Kislev, and if you listen to the last episode of the podcast, or you've been uh, joining us for the series on the energy of the Jewish months, you know that every single month has its own energy, its own things to work on, its own focus, its own kavana. So it's always wonderful to explore the different aspects of the Jewish months, which is what we've been doing in that series. However, I mentioned previously that there is another aspect of the month that we haven't really gotten into, and that is that every month, has a certain human attribute and it's opportune it's an opportune time to work on that attribute so one month might be sight one month might be smell or taste or hearing whatever different human attributes there are every month gives us an opportunity to focus on something specific and try to elevate it and because we're in the month of Kislev, it's noteworthy that the human attribute that we're supposed to work on in the month of Kislev is the attribute of sleep. Sleep. Now, that's an interesting one because we don't often think about working on sleep. It's, sleep is kind of just like, okay, I've done my work for the day, time to go to sleep. But yet, we know in Jewish tradition, that actually one could elevate sleep. Sleep could be a very, very holy time. In fact, within Jewish mysticism, we know that many of the great mystics would connect to something very spiritual and very holy. Often they would go to sleep with a question on their mind and wake up with the answer. It might happen to you and I as well. Often, right, we're thinking about something a lot and we go to sleep confused and we wake up the next morning and we suddenly have clarity. So something happens when we sleep. But the quality of our spiritual experience when we sleep um, is not a given. And that also has to do with how we go about it. We are in control of whether our sleep will be a meaningful time and a meaningful experience. So this idea fascinated me. Um, I don't know too much about it, but I was interested in learning more, and especially because it's the month of Kislev. So that brings me to welcome our guest today. Our guest today is an incredible spiritual teacher who specializes in seminars and classes and education all around sleep and dreams. Her name is Chaya Lester, and I really think that you're going to enjoy this conversation. It ended up being so much more than just a discussion about sleep and dreams, just hearing her story, her outlook on life, hearing about her different experiences. It was a really, really fun conversation. I brought in once again my wife, Devora, so we, we had this conversation, the three of us. 
and uh, I enjoyed it so much. So I'm going to share with you right now her bio, and then we're going to go right into the interview. Chaya is a psychotherapist, inspirational speaker, and spiritual guide. She and her husband Hillel are the directors of the Shalev Center in Jerusalem, which offers an array of classes, workshops, and retreats for locals and visitors alike. She is also a wordsmith, performance artist, and an unapologetic mystic passionate about bringing Torah to life. Now, if you are intrigued, by the way, about that last sentence, a wordsmith, performance artist, unapologetic mystic, we speak about all those things in our discussion together, as well as what we're about to say in the next part of her bio. As a spiritual tour guide, Chaya has had the honor of guiding thousands of visitors in Israel. Among them are VIP visitors such as pop star Alicia Keys, Demi Lovato, Chinese billionaires, and U.S. senators. And oh boy, does she have some stories about that. Chaya lives with her husband, Rabbi Hilla Lester, and their four energetic children in the vibrant heart of Jerusalem. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. I did. So here we go. Without further ado, Chaya Lester. This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. It is a great pleasure to welcome to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, the Holy Chaya Lester, I don't know if I should say Rebetzin, the, <laughs> the Holy Chaya Lester from Yerushalayim, Irakodesh, the holy city of Jerusalem. Welcome. Hi, you can call me Rebetzin too. All right. Do you like Rebetzin? It's so funny. Our last interview, our guest specifically did not want to be Rebetzin. I'm so confused when it comes to the Rebetzins. And then we have co our, my, my favorite co-host, uh, Rebetzin Dvara Buxbaum. Hello, hello. <laughs> okay, fine. So we got, we, we now that we have all that uh, squared. So uh, it is a pleasure. It really is a pleasure. I just want to start by going back down memory lane. Um, uh, Rebetzin Chaya, the first time that I um, became exposed to your work was through a poem that I saw you share online. I think that it was the pre-Pesach one, the cleaning for Pesach yeah, it was. I poem. <laughs> and I loved it and I shared it. And then uh, after that, I saw your poem on hair covering which I also found very inspiring. Couldn't do much with that one, but I also found <laughs> in like a weird way, I found that inspiring as well. And then about a year later, I found myself in your home in Nachlaot with a Momentum men's group. We were in your home and we found that also the guys loved that. I remember they were like brought to tears by, by, by the whole thing. So I feel like our paths have crossed many, many times in the past. But, um, and I think Dvara, you've also crossed paths uh, probably through the momentum circles as yeah, well. Yeah, I actually was, I never had, Chai, I never had you as one of my trip leaders, but I, I have been able to see you when I was on one of my trips. And I know right. that um, some of my friends ha did have you when you when you did lead a trip and they they absolutely loved you, so. Thank you for so all that you do for the Jewish people. Thank you. And it's been great to, yeah, get to have little uh, interactions with you guys, both of you, separately along over the years. And and you can't also forget the time that we, we meditated together in Jerusalem. That's right. That was that was more recently. We crossed paths through those meditation okay. seminars, which yeah. were beautiful as well. And now that we have you all to ourselves and we can really pick your brain, I guess, to begin, because a lot of our audience does not yet know you and all the fascinating work that you do. So can you speak a little bit about your work today and 
not just kind of like a LinkedIn bio, but more of like your mission, what drives you in all the things that you do? Yes, I, I think that the main driving force would be just trying to bring, not, it's so cliche, forgive me, but it's cliche for a reason, you know, is to try to bring light and to try to bring the light of our neshamas, um, to try to bring awareness of the hidden, the hidden lights also within us and under the surface of things and, and to bring out, bring out the hidden, I think is also a big, a big mission statement of, of mine um, to kind of reveal that which is not yet revealed. And um, so to bring out the soul and things, to bring out the light um, and healing um, through those, as many pathways as we can. Um, I think that's the broadest, the broadest way to put it. And, and basically, I'm also just a mother and I'm doing like five, five loads of laundry a day with my you know, four kids and et cetera. So uh, I feel like first and foremost, that it comes through and, you know, our, our relationships and in our, you know, with our spouses and children and, um, and families and, um, and, and, and bringing Torah in there and letting that kind of be the foundation of, uh, of, of how we're building our homes and, um, and then bringing it into the work that I do, um, trying to, to take, you know, Jewish, Jewish ideas and be like, okay, this is a great, cool idea that kind of blows your mind, but how does that really impact how you deal with your depression or your mother-in-law, you know, and, and trying to make practical tools uh, for, for, for transformation out of these beautiful ideas, really to move from a place where, you know, Jewish learning or spiritual learning is used to just be about more like information and, and then maybe we get into the stage where it's an like inspiration and that's great. And we're like inspired by, the, by these ideas, but really the goal is like transformation, right? So to have these ideas really actually transform us, you know, awesome. practically. Awesome, I love that. There, there is a, a line in your, in your bio that I really love. I think I wanna clarify exactly what you mean by it, but it really sounds like it accurately describes you. And that is as an, unapologetic mystic right so uh, i think i feel what an unapologetic mystic is but maybe you could share exactly what what you mean by that um and uh and and if you were an apologetic mystic who would you be apologizing to <laughs> <laughs> i love that question because <laughs> it's so at the the heart of what i struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis is I'm, I'm kind of a spiritual freak show you know, like that, that is <laughs> somewhat how I experience myself, right? Okay. Is, okay, I'm a little strange and how do I interact with other people given that? And like, I'm very aware that a lot of the things that I'm teaching about and that I'm experiencing and that I'm, you know, excited and passionate about are things that most people will view as cuckoo and weird and strange, you know, and, um, you know, suspect. So I feel wow. like- Maybe I am apologetic, you know. Yeah. Well, can, can um, we? I just want to jump into that just for a second, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I do want to jump into that for a second because you mentioned being a spiritual freak show, doing you know things that are weird, and we'll get into some of that stuff because I, I think that'll be really interesting. But one of the things that I very much admire and that I see in you is that you know, I, listen, I've seen the full gamut of people that are involved in, you know, mystical work and spiritual work and all sorts of things. And you come across people that are, you know, kind of weird and kind of bizarre. 
And I've always been fascinated. I've been fascinated always by spiritual people, mystical people. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Israel and a significant amount of time in Colorado. <laughs> you meet a lot of those as well. And often you meet people and you know, you're like, you feel that they're not grounded. You right. feel like they're someplace beyond, or often I hate to say it, but sometimes you feel like they're fake and it's a show. But yet right. with you, even though you are a very spiritual, mystical person, um, uh, you do not come across in any way as being, you know, weird or being you're extremely relatable and you seem extremely normal and yet you are into a lot of these spiritual mystical practices which i think is really actually one of the cool things um about you and about your work no thank you i don't I think that was a question i think that was just a long compliment but maybe you could at least you know speak, <laughs> speak to that speak to what it's like being normal but also being an unapologetic mystic well i'll i'll start i'll start off by saying I went to Oxford to, to work on my doctorate. I never finished that doctorate, right? It was just, that was never gonna happen. It's just, for me, I, I was writing a doctorate on spirituality and it was, I was only writing it because I just wanted to be spiritual and study spiritual things and understand what was already happening to me. And so I was gonna go get this doctorate from Oxford University so people would take me and my spirituality seriously. But uh, along the way, I just finally was like, and I, you know, I, I'm not ever going to be really, it's not right for me to try to fit into that box, uh, whatever that box is. And, and so I have, um, you know, had to, to let go of certain things in my life as, um, and, and really just to pursue spirit at the end of the day, I guess that's the unapologetic piece is like, this, this is what I'm going to do. If people are going to think that I'm nuts, um, then, then so be it. Hopefully if they get to know me, they'll just see that I'm actually pretty grounded, hopefully. Um, and, but it's, it's a, it's a scary, listen, it's a scary, vulnerable line to walk in the world. It, it is the reality is we, we see, I think many, many people like that, that, you know, I, I think when, when Hashem created the world, when God created the world, there does seem to be this line of certain people that just feel a spiritual, some sort of awareness inside of them that there is something more, what you called in your opening remarks, what you called the hidden, that there's something that is hidden over there that's not just the day-to-day -day grind. Um, and, you know, we talk about sometimes Eastern religions versus kind of like Western society or Western mentality, you know, Dvaras from Colorado, we spend some time there, you find, sometimes you'll find people more in tune with that. We live now in D.C., no offense, a lot of DC people are listening, but you know, not over all the overall culture in Washington, DC. It's not, it's a very, very scientific place, a very square uh, area. And yet you find some people, probably like yourself, and maybe you'll share a little bit of your history shortly, but you find some people that just look around at the world around them, the world, the, the square world, the scientific world, and say, like, this is very plastic and I have some sort of spiritual yearning or some sort of heightened spiritual awareness and I just can't seem to fit into the space that I'm in. Nobody seems to understand me. You know, what, what, like, what do you say to those people? How do you guide those people to discover their spiritual voice in a world that doesn't understand them? 
right? So that's the still small voice that's within each of us. And it, it is small. <laughs> that's the nature of, of the spirit in a way is that it is this, of, of necessity. It, it is still and small, um, the, the, the spiritual yearnings within us. And I feel like our, our work is to try to put a microphone to those, those small yearnings, those small whispers inside of us and try to amplify those in our lives. And just, just to, I would say, you know, advice wise, I would say, be, be courageous in this and, um, and, and try to listen for that. And, and, and then I, I think what ends up happening that's so special is that your life gets better. I think that life gets better. It gets richer and deeper and realer um, when, when you do allow um, yourself to step out of just those plastic boxes and to really feel into the spiritual self. Um, because that's, you know, that's the core of who we are. And, and I think that life then provides the fruits um, of, of those, you know, when we follow the spiritual callings that are quiet within us, uh, I feel like they, they bear fruit in the end. Yeah. Can I just chime in here for someone who does not know what we are talking about right now in terms of like spiritual awakenings and spiritual intuness and spiritual moments. Can you define what you're talking about? Because I can see someone who maybe not be feeling super spiritual right now, totally lost in this well, conversation. Right. Yes. Yeah, right. We did. We did. Yeah, great point. Listen, you guys, we jumped into the deep end here at the beginning. I'm, yeah. yeah that yes, that's it. That's why I that. bring you around as a coast. I jump in deep <laughs> and it's like, whoa, like, what are we talking about here? Okay. Yeah. So what? So what do we yeah. mean? What do we mean what, what, when, when we say, what, what is this unapologetic mystic and what is this spiritual hidden place that we want our listeners to be aware of? Right. Well, listen, I'll maybe say some things about myself, which is that I was this spiritual freak of a kid, you know, growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, you know, suburban Jewish, somewhat Jewish environment in Memphis, nothing spiritual whatsoever, really. And, and, and yet I, I would have I would have dreams about what well, thing prophetic mo prophetic dreams about things that were going to happen. I knew the day my grandfather was going to die and exactly who was going to be at the funeral because I saw it in the dream. You know, I had these experiences through my life, through my young life, and um, and then I I started to pursue them. You know, more by the time I was fifteen, I was, you know, I had a, a meditation practice. I would go and I would somehow figure out where the the spiritual bookstore was and I would get books. This was before the internet and, you know, getting books on spirituality and breathing techniques and Taoism. And, and I was just ravenous from a very young age. Were, were you religious? Years. Did you grow up in a religious home? No, no, not at all. Not at all. Kind of somewhat Jewishly affiliated. So this was totally, affiliated. this was happening totally on your own. Yeah. I mean, you know, I went to Sunday school and learned about Noah's Ark, and that was, you know, not no, so spiritual no for me, like right. And um, but um, but I did start breathing and I did start meditating, and that that was really I would so I started having mystical experiences through my meditation and having unitary consciousness where I would breathe and I would get into a a, a mystical state and um, and and have classic you know if you look textbook um you know looking at what classic mystical experiences throughout history have been I, I was having these experiences from a very early age and never really had any context or explanations in my in my family life or communal life about what those were 
And um, so when I'm talking about spirituality, it's definitely like experiential encounters with divine within myself. And listen, it's if, if you're not having those experiences, it's very hard to understand. And it's very hard to even be interested in it because it's not something that's even, you know, you've never tasted that flavor of ice cream before. You don't even know that it's a possible flavor, you know, to, to experience. Um, but that, I think that's what we're talking. That's what, that's what yes, we're talking about. Yes, it's so interesting about. that you're saying this. I, I feel that I'm more and more I'm having this conversation with people twice yesterday. This, uh, this idea of, People think that spiritual, and we use the term spirituality, unfortunately, spirituality for so many people in their head is performance, I'm quoting now, performance of mitzvot, doing things, um, saying the prayer, very action-oriented, um, without any, without the desire to pay attention to what's happening on the experiential Internal. level. And yeah. then, like you just said, it's, it's, it's tamu uru, like it needs to be tasted. And, and it's, it's very hard to describe to somebody who's never tried to pay attention to what's going on inside, who just interprets in their head because they were taught spirituality equals what you do um, to even pay attention to what's happening inside of you. And therefore, if you're not paying attention to it, you're certainly not going to feel it. And you're certainly not going to come to any sort of higher state of, of awareness like that. So it's, it, it's, a, it's a very it's a great, great point. You know, I think that the dream work, I'm, I'm really into dream work because dreams are so incredible because, you know, like you can sit and meditate for literally months to try to get into a mystical experience or can touch with your soul and it's hard work. But every, literally every night, we just, we go straight to our soul. We let the body aspects of ourself sort of go into the background and we, and we are soul when we're dreaming at night. And every night we have access to the, the, the you know, celestial heights. And so I, I think dreams, for instance, I think are a really good example of somebody being like, listen, hi, I don't, I don't know about these dream stuff. It does, seems like nonsense. I don't even dream. I don't even remember my dreams. Yes. And I'm like, me. well, you're, yeah, well, <laughs> you, or they say, I don't dream, you know, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have dreams. So I'm like, no, 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 you just don't remember them. But it is happening every night. The question is, it's like a ladder, right? Jacob's ladder, okay, with the with the rungs, and it's grounded on the ground at the bottom of the ladder, and then the rungs go up and reaches to the heights. And the goal is to have a, a a sturdy ladder where we have the rungs that are able to help help us have access from the depths of you know our most mundane selves to the to the heights of our spiritual self. And it has to be a complete ladder that's all connected and and solid. And, and to be able to go up and down. And so that's happening every night. And oftentimes people just don't, they're missing a rung. You know, it's like they're down at the bottom, like they don't, they're missing a rung that lets them even connect to the higher parts of themselves. So I tell them, you are dreaming every night. You just don't remember it. First thing to do is to honor the fact, don't ever call your dreams nonsense. Don't, that's just, that's just like honor, at least start by honoring the unknown you know it's like when people say well i don't but it's not real because I, I don't you know i don't i don't i don't i can't touch it i can't you know it's, it's not real it's an unknown so people oftentimes don't honor what they don't know and but there's 
if we can just get into a space of honoring that I don't know, honoring the unknown and the mystery of life, that's a really great orientation to start with. Um, to say, I am, I am dreaming every night and I want to honor that and I want to get in touch with that, with, with those truths. And, um, and then really making a shidduch, a shidduch with the part of myself that's down, the mundane part of myself down here and these higher unknown aspects of myself and wanting to create a relationship. Anytime you want to create a relationship with somebody you're not in relationship with, you got to work at it. You have to honor them. You have to desire them. You have to communicate with them. You have to you know, use their love language. It's, it's, it's cultivating a relationship with the, the spiritual parts of ourselves, with the unknown parts of ourselves. And so I tell them like with your dreams, like say nice things about your dreams. When you, when you get one, when you get a fragment, a little scrap of dream, remember it, write it down, have the book by your bed where you, where you take note because that's going to build the relationship you have with your unconscious and with your soul self. It's so very I think interesting. Making that shift of right. orientation, of honoring, and and then creating a vessel of relational connection to our spiritual self. Yeah, it, it is interesting because like the Torah is so full of dreams. And when we speak about like Jewish, uh, well, the word that I'm looking for, all the stories, the, when you hear stories of the great mystics, and, or, or, or there's so many stories that revolve around people that, you know, dreamt of loved ones and there were messages and dreams, but then it sort of comes to the day to day. And like you said, you're right. People are like, I don't really remember my dreams. I didn't dream anything. But um, I think that probably you, you, if you would share that with someone, you would probably be faced with, you know, my dreams, I don't know, they just seem to be like just a big mix of all this weird stuff that I think about during the day and just kind of mush together in some, you know, little adventure in my head. Like, how do you, how would you decode any sort of spiritual experience in there? Right. Well, first of all, learning about what dreams are, the truth is for the, for the first hours of the night, a lot of the dream work that we do is is just taking out the garbage, you know, of what we're, what happened that day. And this is your brain processing through it and your fears and your emotions. And, you know, a lot of the first, you know, hours of our, of our dreaming is, is not going to be prophetic, you know, elevated material at all. It's going to be that, that more crass. Yeah. Um, Which by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chai, but I just want to say also, I often, when I'm guiding people in meditation as well, I often say like, you know, people say, oh yeah, I tried to meditate for a couple of minutes and it didn't work because my mind just started thinking about things. Like anytime you're trying to get into a more spiritual place, initially your mind is just going to flood you with all sorts of random things that are, you know, very mundane and therefore irrelevant in like the quality of their of their meaning so i think the brain does just need to like air itself out yeah yeah but then by by the morning time we've worked through a lot of that and in the morning that you know in, in judaism it teaches that like the prophetic dreams are the ones that do come in the morning and and it, and it lines up perfectly with science also to show that it's finally when you get through that first six hour chunk of processing that then you can get into the, um, the the richer material in the dream. So you really want to want to be um, focusing on what can happen at those those last two hours of sleeping. And I think that right, like like you said, it's a really good example of what happens with all of our spiritual work. That first eighty percent of it is going to be the grinding 
effortful work of, of trying to connect with spirituality, but then you get that 20% at the end where it gets really, where you get the rewards for it. And you just gotta keep on working for that 80% of it. But then once you get, once you keep on pushing through, you will get rewarded. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I think it's such a great lesson. I think across the board, across the board, even with prayer, I don't know if you, you find this as well, I don't know if you find this as well, even with prayer, like to me, because people are always, you know, asking me, like, I'm not feeling it in prayer. I'm not feeling inspired in prayer. Um, my, my mind is always wandering, you know, as if that's a problem. And I think that the beginning of acknowledging or trying to become more spiritual is that recognition that, yes, I think you said 80 percent and that's that's good. But that 80 percent of the effort is gonna just be like, yeah, like prayer is not gonna be, uh, maybe for you or maybe for you, I don't know, but for me, like, it's not like, yeah, 80% of it is just trying to weed everything out so that you can get that beautiful three minutes, even three minutes, that beautiful moment within the Shemona Esther, that beautiful moment within the Amidah, right? Uh, uh, that whole shot, you might go through a whole 25 hour Shabbat for the one hour of real menucha like yeah when you're trying to get into spirituality there's going to be a lot of of time a lot of effort a lot of investment just to really extract those couple of beautiful moments of pure spirituality would you agree with that absolutely yeah i really oh. I, I, I actually i think that the model of you know the six days of work and then the one day of shabbat is probably also a good ratio of like yeah we're the, there's there's a grind for six six sevenths of of our life and but then that that last part of it is what what we're doing it all for every every discipline let's it's all discipline it all takes work and the and the more that we invest and the the greater the, the rewards amazing awesome so i have to ask you about something that you said earlier and i think that this will resonate with you also because now now that we now that we see what sort of spiritual um you know how how in tune you are with that spiritual world when i asked you earlier about your day-to-day -day, so you said i'm a mother and i'm doing four loads of laundry so i think we, we like we got to get into this because five loads. Five, right? <laughs> <laughs> depending on how many so i think that we really want to get into this how does somebody um, who, who has such a spiritual intunement, um, go about sort of those day-to-day -day tasks and still feel that when you're not dreaming, when you're not meditating, when you're not praying, right? But you still feel that in the mundane. Like, how do you, how do you go about keeping that consciousness turned on? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of my favorite muscles is actually how to be in the mundane and to, and to keep on saying, there is nothing but God. This is God too. And yeah, I want those spiritual height experiences and those, the ecstasy. Um, but yeah, after the ecstasy, the laundry, that's, that's the mm. way it is. <laughs> and, um, and that's actually been one of my favorite practices um, is, is either um, not getting something I want and embracing that and like finding the godliness. And that's not my favorite practice. It's not very fun. But um, it's been very rewarding. And certainly in Judaism, we have an idea of like bitalayesh, the, the nullification of the self and the nullifications that come are actually a really powerful spiritual discipline in and of itself. And so in those moments when I'm not getting my juicy spiritual experiences, um, 
to to still stay connected um, and know that everything is you know God and everything is unitary consciousness and this is exactly the way it needs to be and I'm doing this holy work of taking care of my children I mean that's that's where really the rubber hits the road and that's mm-hmm. the Proof is in the pudding. I don't know what what other what other you know little catchphrases I can use, but that's really I think where it's at is can you can you still know that all those mundane moments are are also um, yeah. Can you speak to that also also a mother of six? Yeah, I mean I can't say I'm an unapologetic mystic. I certainly can't say that. Um, I do like to think of myself as a spiritual person. I often talk about this when when I'm giving challah baking workshops. You know that challah is one of the most physical things, and it comes from the the word chol. You know from mundane physical you know thing, and yet it's one of the most spiritual things that we can literally put our hands into into the dough into the eating of it into it all and it's because i think that that is exactly what our mission is to constantly be you know making those two like just molding them together living a a a, a physical down to earth you know mundane life but completely infused with spirituality and like you said in od malvado which really means there is no other force other than the almighty just knowing that everything that's happening is coming from god everything there's messages all the time you know and um and depending on how in tune we are we can see those messages we can uplift those things everything is all with where we are at with our mind. And, and that is that is the power. That that is the power. You said the, the proof isn't, I think you said the proof is in the pudding. I think like that is that's where the true test is. You the know, proof when, is in the challah dough. The proof is in the challah dough. There you go. <laughs> Somebody once told me that when you're serving your children, when you're serving them breakfast, because often we like we just serve our kids food because like, you know, like they gotta eat and you know, I'm in charge of them, so I can't starve my kids. So, you know, just like, you know, give them but someone said no actually take a moment when you're about to serve your children food and just think to yourself no actually this is a real expression of love for my children you know on the transactional physical realm you know we'll speak mystically for a second in the olama asiya in the world of action what's happening over here is yes i am feeding you food so that you will not starve because you're my child and i don't want social services to take you away <laughs> but in the realm right in the higher realm the emotional realm there's actually there's there's a love connection that is being formed over here and being conscious and aware of that makes all, makes all the difference. I'm feeling a love connection with you guys. I'm really <laughs> loving this conversation. Thank you. I just, I'm so resonating with everything you're saying and I'm just appreciating. I feel like I, I did this um, interview, like expecting that I was going to like talk about the things that I teach about and da, 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 but I feel like you've really invited me just to actually talk about my own experience as as a striving yid you know as a as a jew and it's really it's really special to me i'm appreciating this thank you fantastic but now we want to just tap into your your life and and get a little bit just to sort of hack into the things that make you tick and and that bring um inspiration to your world so you're a spiritual tour guide. I know a lot of tour guides. You're a spiritual tour guide. And you mentioned that you've had experiences with Alicia Keys and Demi Lovato and Chinese billionaires and U.S. senators. So um, I would I would be curious to know what it's like being a spiritual tour guide, but yet, you know, giving tours to pop singers and senators who don't necessarily strike me as, you know, the most spiritual 
group of people. So how did that go? And what was that like? Share with us uh, some some of that experience. Yeah, oh, those are fun. Right. I mean, first of all, spiritual tour guiding in Israel, as it were, is basically Israel. I live I live in Jerusalem. Like I live in like down the street from the Kotel. It's really very potent, really fabulous and fun. And and so we get a lot of people coming through. You know, we get people coming through all the time and people coming to Israel are really wanting a spiritual journey. Right. They're coming to the Holy Land. So people are already open hearted to to having spiritual experiences. And then so I view a trip to Israel as really a to the land of our soul it's visiting your soul and if these spots in israel are going to be portals for your encountering your deepest highest self and for healing your wounds and so i really view you know doing doing tourism spiritual tourism in israel is really the way to go um and but but then the truth is i feel like in terms of me doing it it's really just come from god a lot of them i'll tell you the alicia keys story because it's really fun um is so I was in a taxi and, and I, I'm, I'm a poet also. So I was in this taxi and I'm all like, I'm all fetchy because it's hot and sweaty and this Jerusalem taxi and there's traffic. And all of a sudden I, I hear this song come on the radio and it's this woman singing about New York City. She has this, this song about New York and I just, I'm weeping in the back seat because I hear this song and I'm like, whoa, whoever this woman is. And I don't, I don't listen to pop music. I didn't even know from who it was. And I hear this song and I said, whoever this woman is, she somehow took New York City into her being, metabolized it and, <laughs> and pushed out this beauty, beauty of a song of expression of that city. Right. Wow. I could just do that for Jerusalem. Yeah. Well, that would be my, my life dream. And I, and I got home from the taxi ride and, and, I, and I drank a big cup of coffee as is my way. And I found the <laughs> song on YouTube and like listened to it 20 times and it was like, just please Hashem and, and begged Hashem to let me give expression to Jerusalem. And I, and this beautiful, and I wrote this beautiful poem, lovely, beautiful poem. I'll share it with you if we remember at the end of this story. And um, cool, great story. That would, that's enough, right? That would have been already enough of a great story, but that wasn't the end because X number of months later, I, out of nowhere, I get a phone call. Hi, I'm Alicia Keys' manager. And we hear that you do spiritual tours in Israel and Alicia's has a, has a world tour she's on and she wants to end the tour in Israel and she wants to bring her entire family to do a spiritual journey in Israel. And can you help create this spiritual journey for her and her you know, family and her entourage? And I'm like, this, you know, yes, please. And they said, we got to understand that Alicia, she's sort of new age. Her husband is Muslim. Her mother who's coming is Catholic. Her mother-in-law is evangelical. Like, and, and me, I'm her manager and her best friend. And of, of course I'm Jewish. And she's like, can you create like a tour for all that? And I'm like, heck yeah, this is the place for That's that. That's your thing, right? right? That's your jam. So we have, so we have this gorgeous, we, so thank God we had this gorgeous tour and it's wonderful just to be with um, Alicia. It's extremely special, obviously, but you know, even more so than you would just imagine for a pop star, very, very sensitive soul, very spiritual. And um, um, so that's how, Right. So when I first met Alicia, like finally, like she's coming on this trip, I tell her about the poem and how like, of course, of course, I got that phone call out of nowhere because I was already connecting to my soul. Right. If you just you manifested it, Shama, as we say, then, then amazing things like that just naturally yeah. keep tumbling forward and out of your life. So it made total sense to me that this whole thing would happen with Alicia because it, I was so connected to my soul, you know, 
and 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 that's 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 really my my ideal way to live is when we're in such a soul connected place. I really want to hear the Jerusalem poem before that. I have to ask you one more question, and then I want to get to the the Jerusalem poem. But because you mentioned Demi Lovato, and I think that that trip got a lot of media coverage, Mm -hmm. and apparently she was very very moved by her experience here, and it was a very powerful spiritual experience. And then she went back home, got a lot of hate, and totally backtracked on like a lot of very nice things that she said and apologized and things like that. I'm curious to hear from your perspective, how you feel being part of that trip, being part of seeing that spiritual experience, and then from the unapologetic mystic, literally seeing somebody on a world stage apologize for for having a spiritual experience. I know, yeah, that was really intense and sad. Yeah, we went from I, I did a, I did Shabbat dinner. I did Friday night with her um, on the, the top, the rooftop of Asia Torah, overlooking the old city and the Kotel, um, and doing breathing meditations with them, and bringing in Shabbat and candle lighting, and um, you know, I, I did some research on her before she came, so I knew like what her personal wounds were, you know, and so we did um, hand washing ritual before the the, the challah around because she has some eating disorder background and like, it just was, it had the deepest, most such a beautiful night together. And everybody's, by the end of the night, everybody's like in tears and, yeah. um, and her mom says that it's the most you know, powerful night of her life, right? It was, it was life, it was a life-changing trip for her. A, obviously the, 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 the spiritual, you know, Shabbat experience was great, but the whole trip was, was, was so extraordinary and what they created was so special. And it was really heartbreaking to, to see that kind of get shattered on the ground uh, with her backtracking about how great the experience was because she just didn't, she didn't have it within her to hold strong against those voices. And I yeah. uh, just, I think it reflects um, on her character and in a way that it's, it's very, I can't imagine what it must be like for somebody, you know, with her millions and tens of millions of followers to have people really mad at you. And so who am I to, you know, to comment, but, um, but it was very disappointing. Um, By the way, Demi Lovato, if you're listening to this podcast, we invite <laughs> you to come on the Empowered Jewish Living podcast, because we want to or talk about to go, Or just to come for a Shabbos meal. You know? <laughs> exactly. yeah. That's right. um, yeah, so listen, God's in control. At the end of the day, okay, there's anti-Semitism. Okay, there's you know Hamas. Like God is in control, and this is all happening for a reason. And yeah, we need to fight against the darkness. Um, but one of the ways we fight against the darkness is to know that God is creating the darkness for a purpose, and um, to stay really connected to that truth. I think will help us to navigate through all the um, the dark the dark pieces that are thrown at us along the way. Love it. Let's hear the Jerusalem. Poem. I'm so excited about this. Okay, so I have this this book. This is called Lit, and it's um, poems to ignite your Jewish holidays. So Ooh. this is fun. It's on Amazon. Okay, we'll post so the link to the- that, by the way, in the uh, in the show notes, so people can check that out. Okay, so this this so this this I really was like, help me, Hashem, to please write a poem about um, my connection to Jerusalem and how it. You know, it came to be that I'm even here in the first place, coming from Memphis, Tennessee. You know, it's totally disconnected Jewishly to thank God, like now living in Jerusalem. 
So this is goes back to like my those early experiences, you know, the kind of honeymoon stage of giver people who are just first connecting to Judaism and, and Torah, and it's like so ecstatic. So this is from that, from that kind of capturing that period of time. So this is what it means to be a Jew. Who knew? Who knew that Judaism was ancient and yet progressive, mystical, intellectual, and impressive, grounded, yet elevating, paradoxical, and penetrating? Suddenly, I am plumbing depths and thumbing through texts that have been thumbed and plumbed for generations past and more to come. Live in the return of Judah's long lost children, so far gone, so far hidden. Now come home, the old books of our own venerable tradition. Ready and willing to kiss these white stones and make a home in Yerushalayim's now revived old bones, clamoring with higher calling cleaving to deeper meaning, shining with persistence in a 3,000 year old commitment, commitment to the Torah, to something more than the mores and the norms of the Western world with her hordes of the immoral and the impure, committed to something more than a Manhattan latte and a pumped up paycheck to provide for the family that might smile wide for the cameras, but weeps inside for their bankrupt neshamas, Famished for a richer truth than the loose change of material gain. Famished for the fresh fruit of the live tree of Jerusalem with leaves of flames. And so I paced myself with the stealth of a leopard on the chase of the truth, which darts like a gazelle through these hills of Yehuda and tomes of Gemara I would come to know so well. With a fire hotter than a thousand degrees from the coal Ivy League, my ivy, Climbs the western wall, y'all, a beanstalk tall to which I'll cleave. We have returned to these streets to breathe these books, to dream these dreams. If Torah is a tree of life, then I will gladly change my life that I might sit amongst her leaves and dream. So come and sit and read amongst Jerusalem's leaves and dream. Wow. 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 And you ended it with the end dream. You got that in there. Dreaming. Wow. We got in the dream. Wow. Beautiful. Now yeah. I'm remembering back. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering back that first time that I ever saw you, right? On that, uh, yeah, with, with that poetry. You have to do an awesome. audio version, though. You have to do an audio book with your poem book because I an feel album, like, yeah. yeah, I feel like the way that you say it, it's like the like sing song. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. There's yeah, a lot of heart in there. That was really a treat. That was really yeah. a treat. If I'd ask you, like, who are some of the people in your world that inspire you and that you were able to look towards to give you inspiration? Oh, God. The first one that comes up is my husband. <laughs> um, I met. Awesome Jew. Amazing person. An awesome Jew. Um, but he's just, he's an awesome dude. He's totally different from me. He's very grounded. He's, he's a spirit, he's a meditator, but he's not into the spiritual crazy stuff at all. And he'll all tell him my crazy dreams and he'll be like, oh, okay. And, and, that, and he totally doesn't, doesn't get riled up or anything. And it's very grounding for me. Um, so I feel like that would be my first source of, of like grounding inspiration is of this person who's so totally different from me, um, but really completes me and uh, challenges the heck out of me. Um, so that comes to my mind first. Um, I, you know, the Ramchal is my, is one of my go-to um, Torah learning sources ever since I first, you know, became Balat Chuva and started learning Jewish sources. It was the 
Dara Hashem, you know, like right. 101 right there yes. with Rafa Ramchal. And um, I, I'm constantly going back to the, the, the guideposts that he provides and um, or everything and any and everything by Arya Kaplan. Mm -hmm. just, that's, that is the, the basic uh, bread and water of my spiritual life is Arya Kaplan because Chaval, like my Hebrew is not so great. So it's oftentimes hard for me to just go directly into the sources myself. And so he's just the best guide through the translation. So Arya Kaplan, everything. Um, it's very helpful. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, I'm very connected to Lubavitcher Rebbe and Chabad Hasidus. Um, is, is, that, is that what you're asking? Absolutely. Like, what are, what are no, th th these are great suggestions. It happens to be my, my, my suggested reading list is also right along those lines. To me, <laughs> like the, the, the Ramchal, the way of God, the Derech Hashem, like I just don't see how you can be a functional Jew without having read that work because he really like, I mean, everything. It's just such a strong foundation in terms of like, what we're doing here how did we get here and how to how to view the world so that's a great uh, that is a great resource you've done a lot of series on on the yes i had the privilege is, is any of it recorded if i don't think so on. no it was pre-covid before we knew how to use technology <laughs> before we knew how to use <laughs> exactly. technology like what like who knew what computers were sound, before COVID. Uh, very you know with it but no but that's um uh, yeah but that, that that's amazing and Ari kaplan especially for those people ask all the time like what is the the beginning of of learning about Jewish meditation, Arya Kaplan's book on Jewish meditation is priceless. Um, and people ask, what, what, is, what is a good intro for Kabbalah? And the book Inner Space is priceless. I mean, these are these are are amazing. These are great works. Um, uh, my next question for you is, and I'm sure maybe this will tie back to your dream work, but I don't want to make any assumptions. But we like to know as to if you look at your day to day and what is one practice that you do each day that really you'd say, this is the practice that really makes me tick, that really makes me connect. What would that be? Or a routine or any sort of habit? I, I would have to say um, before my orientation that I do inside of myself before I go to sleep at night, I really, um, I try very hard. I mean, it's so easy when you either both on waking up in the morning and going to sleep at night, it's such an easy time to actually I fulfill some spiritual um, discipline at those moments because nothing else is in the way. So when I go to bed at night, I really take it very seriously in terms of orienting my, myself for the spiritual journey that's about to happen, you know, like the Ramchal teaches in Derech Hashem says it just very, you know, very straight that when we go to sleep at night, we have of course five levels of our soul. And the lowest level of our soul, the nefesh, stays down in our body. And the upper four levels of our soul are able to ascend and go up and traverse the spiritual realms and have interactions with angels and, um, and messages from God. And it's just, he just says it shot, you know, it's like very clear that this is what's happening every night. And when we really, if you really grok that, you know, and really take that to heart of like, whoa, I'm about to go and have a massive mystical journey tonight. And how do I want to, you know, orient myself to that? Um, it's really, it's very potent. So I try every night to, you know, do the bedtime shema. So I take that seriously. I go over my day. I think about um, what I'm thankful for. I think about the, that's also a really happy, um, wonderful way to end the day for me every day to think about what I'm grateful for mm. um, and think about what I've accomplished and uh, 
so that's that's my my strongest time and then and then probably i'd say waking up in the morning is my other favorite time and um in terms of my spiritual practice which is waking up in the morning and just immediately recording those dreams mm-hmm. um and that's 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 kind of the, the forefront of that's my, amazing my I, th- I think so many of us have gotten caught in this trap of going to sleep with the phone and again i mean listen you know i read on my phone i can't say all the things that i do are not productive but so many people are just falling asleep you know to like sports scores or reading the news but you know i think that's also perhaps one of the reasons why we don't fully get the experience from our sleep and from our dreams that we see that the mystics had because we're just we're going to sleep and you know if it does take our brain some time to unwind from the day we're flooding it with the Yiddish word is narishkeit we're flooding it with random stuff instead of going to sleep in this like in this in this holy space so I love that I love that so what is your what is your message to the world that you you're speaking now to an audience of all sorts of Jews from different backgrounds, some of which are definitely like they're yearning, they're looking, they're searching for spirituality. They're not experiencing what you've experienced, but they're yearning for it. What is your message to them? And some are experiencing it, but are looking around at the people around them and like, they just don't get it. What's your message? I think I'd start out with um, a, a being a Shad Hanit and saying, make a Shidduch, make a matchmaker. Shidduch, make a match. Make a match, matchmaker, matchmaker. Make me a match with my neshama. Get in touch with your neshama, with your with your insides, with your unconscious, with your dream self. Start all. Just start with your dreams. I think that's that's going to be the easiest portal in for us as like on mass here in humanity to really get in touch with with bringing down the spiritual and orienting from there is to is to utilize our night consciousness our night hours and who we are all those hours of the night it's not passive it's very crucial um portal to to spirit bring the spiritual into the into the physical that we have amazing amazing let's activate that love it where can people find you contact you reach out to you hear more of your work see more of your work connect with you highlester.com is a great just obvious way to start um i do i do have a you know uh i do dream online courses all the time so i have one starting up um quite you know quite november 9th here um and be in touch about that if you're interested in dream doing dream work um and come visit us in jerusalem come have yes you gotta go yes you have to go to the lesser home for shabbos that is truly a beautiful beautiful experience this was so wonderful chaya thank you so much for joining us on the empowered jewish living podcast and keep up your holy work and keep on praying for us you're in you're in the the capital of the world so keep on praying for us and have us in mind thank you for your time chaya thank you guys this is what a treat thank you thank you so much for listening i hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to rabbishlomo.com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me